Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Amos chapter 3, I'm working on a building. Amos chapter 3 has a question that we've been investigating and uh, we, we want to get the answer right. We want to get the answer right. And the question is simply, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, we know they can't. We know that for us to walk in the plan of God and to be in the right place at the right time and to accurately uh, fulfill what He has designed for us, we need to agree with God. And so our agreement is our part. It's our responsibility. And we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about the renewing of the mind and not just in a clichéic way or just the random teaching about the renewing of the mind, but really about getting uh, in, in the same perception that God is in of seeing things from his point of view, from, from correcting what's in our mind so that we can uh, accurately uh, interpret and understand what God is saying. Yes. And so we've talked about some different things. All of those teachings are available for free on our YouTube channel, on our podcast channels. I encourage you to connect to those so that you can hear them again because I I need to cover a little bit more ground tonight. I do want to rehearse Isaiah 48, because it is a very important part of this foundation. It says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? 48.17 of Isaiah gives us the understanding of how to get in agreement with God. It says, I am the Lord your God, which teaches you to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. For us to get into agreement with God, we need the teaching that he's providing. He said, I teach you to profit. Whatever God teaches us will benefit our lives. And then he said, I lead you by the way. Not just a random way, but there is a specific way. And it will not be be identified without his leading. We need the leading of God to find the way that he has prepared for us. So he said, I will teach you, I will lead you. So that makes our part, we are the student and we are the follower. We come to learn what he's teaching and we come to follow what he's leading us to do. And that puts us in the receiving mode. That puts us in the correct mode to be uh, yielded to him correctly. And that's what... We want. So to be in agreement with God, we need His teaching. We need His leading. And that's what's going to help us be accurate and to be in unity with God. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for a connectedness. 
We're looking for a unity. We want to become one with him. Is that what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17? He said, I and the Father are one, and I pray that they would be one with me as I am one with you. And in that unity, there will be an accuracy. And so that's what he's, he's explaining to us here. The teaching and the leading are necessary for us to get in agreement with God. Amen. And I want to talk tonight... Uh, specifically about the importance of being in agreement with God during difficult times, during difficulty. We want to be in agreement with God because we don't want to wait until trouble comes to go get in agreement. We want to be in agreement so that God can lead us through it without any loss, without any detours, without any, any, because if we're in agreement with God, He's going to lead us through it, lead us around it, take us over it. He's going to take every step of the way. But if we've already found ourselves in trouble before we go to Him, then we're at the disadvantage. And so uh, when trouble comes, we want to make sure that we have the, the correct response that maintains that unity and that agreement with God. And I want to look at 2 Kings chapter 6, first of all. 2 Kings chapter 6. And we'll begin in verse... I'm not going to read the entire area. We see this is the um, situation where the whole city was in a famine... And it was such a terrible famine. The famine was caused by the fact that they were surrounded by their enemy. So I will go ahead and begin in verse 24. It came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was great famine in Samaria... And now we know why the famine. They were under attack. They couldn't get out of the city. They were surrounded. And so whatever was in the city was all the supply that they had. And so they eventually ran out of the supply. And because of that, there was great famine in Samaria. That Behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung. I don't care if it is a thimbleful. I'm not going to eat dove's dung. Help me, Jesus. Right? That's bad when they're paying for bird droppings and willing to eat it. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, we know that this woman came and she said, you know, you've got to help me because I made an agreement with my friend that we would eat my child one day and her child the next. And so we ate my child and now she's hidden hers. So do you see how far down and depraved it had caused people to be? that she was, she was not coming to him and upset that she ate her child. She was upset that her friend was hiding her child. How sad. So that tells us how bad this 
situation was and this famine was. And so in chapter 7 and verse 1, then Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Now that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to connect to. We want to connect to what God has to say. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel. Now, that would be like saying, you're going to buy a cracker or you're going you're gonna to buy a, a large amount of food for just pennies, whereas yesterday you were paying huge pieces of silver, huge amounts of silver for bird droppings. But tomorrow you're going to get a whole cart full of groceries for pennies. But today you're paying, you're paying loads of silver for bird droppings. One extreme to the other. It's going to be such an abundant supply. There's going to be such an abundant supply. There's going to be such an abundant... They've been in lack. They've been in scarcity. They've been in famine long enough that people aren't even thinking right. They're eating bird droppings and eating each other's children. But he says tomorrow about this time... Within 24 hours, things are going to be so different. So what we want to see here is that God brings them a report. Now we've asked this question in this teaching. We've asked this question from the book of Isaiah. Whose report will you believe? And to whom will the arm of the Lord be revealed? And we've discovered that the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed to the person who believes his report. Whose report will you believe? God brings a report that is so far Mm -hmm. from the reality of what they've been living. It is so far-fetched for me to think about the fact that tomorrow food will be in such a provision, such an abundance that I will be able to buy a huge cart full of food for pennies when today I can't find any food and I'm eating bird droppings. So there's a report. The word of the Lord says it's going to happen in 24 hours. It's going to turn around in 24 hours. Everything's about to change in 24 hours. It says, Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. Why? We found out this morning why. Because they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
That's what Hebrews chapter 3 says in verse 19. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Not because God didn't want them to enter in. God prepared the land for them. God brought them to the land. God wanted them to have the promises. God wanted them to experience His best. He wanted them to walk in the provision He had made ready. But they wouldn't believe Him so they could not enter in. God wanted it even though they'd never entered in. There are things that God wants for us that requires everything that God has made available even down to our salvation requires that we believe it. It says, how can they believe except they've heard and how can they hear except a preacher be sent? But the bottom line is, if we don't believe, we can't receive. Amen. Amen. And then it says in Hebrews 4 verse 2 that they heard the word preached but did not mix faith with the word they heard preached. And so we've got to not only hear it, but then we've got to follow up on what we've heard and we've got to mix our faith with what we've heard. Well, what do we do in situations that are difficult? What do we do when there are things surrounding us that are uncomfortable? We train ourselves to believe God. Don't wait until trouble comes to go try to figure out how to believe God. Start believing God now. Do you know, I've heard of uh, police officers who were um, just starting out and they, they said the very first time that they ever went to their, uh, for the bank robbery call, the very first one, all of their training kicked in. Because they had been trained in the academy, because they had been trained and they'd gone through the rigorous training, when they encountered that pressure of the moment, when, the, when this is really happening, when now it's life and death, now we're in a situation that requires, if, if they would revert back to their training, they've already been equipped to know what to do. And they've got to follow the procedures and follow what they've been trained to do in that situation. And that's why God has provided discipleship for us. That's why He's provided the local church for us to come and train ourselves in believing God so that when situations come that we know how to stand and we know how to overcome and we know how to use our faith and we know how to speak the word, and we know how to cast down imaginations, and we know how to take every thought captive, and we know how to cast our cares upon the Lord. We know how to stir stir up the gift that is within us through the laying on of hands. Now we've got all of these different equippings that God has given us, and now it's time to put them all into motion. This is what I've been training for. Amen? And so when a situation comes that is a difficult situation and God speaks to us, we need to learn how to take His Word over what we feel. We need to learn how to place His Word above what the evidences of our senses are telling us. This is not the time to get your eyes on the wind and the waves, Peter. This is the time, like the Apostle Paul, when the storm was raging around him and he was on a ship where they had tossed everything off the ship, 
the apostle Paul gets a word from God that, not, that no one on board is going to perish in this storm, but everyone will make it safely even though the ship is going to fall apart. Yeah. He has advanced notice the ship is going to fall apart. But also the knowledge of God about the situation that every person will remain alive. There's no evidence of that to the feelings. There's no evidence of that to the senses. There's no way to prove it other than believe it. All he has is, I believe God. And that's what he said. I believe God. And I think the people around him decided at that point what he said. I'm going to believe what he said. Because that's the only hope we've got. What other hope do we have? That's what we need to learn. We need to learn how in the midst of a situation where there is no evidence for us of what God said is going to turn out the way it's going to turn out, we can say, I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. And so here we have a man who says, there's no way it can be. He's refusing to believe. And the, the, the bottom line is, because he won't believe it, he can't receive it. In any situation, God has designed his word to bring his deliverance. That's why we've got to have a proper response to the word. The Word of God, you can't approach it like you would scroll through Facebook. You can't just hit the highlights like you would on a news report. You've got to come to the Word as authority. The Word is final authority in my life. It holds the power to change my actions. The Word holds the power to conduct my life. I'm going to take the Word and allow it to govern me. The Word is going to lead me. It's going to tell me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. If the Word tells me a soft answer turns away wrath, then that's what I'm going to put in my mouth, a soft answer. If the Word of God tells me to forgive, if I have aught against any, then I'm not going to tell God how I deserve to hold on to that unforgiveness because of what that person did to me. I'm going to say, you know what, Lord? You said that if I have anything against anybody to drop it, leave it, and let it go. So here I am. I drop it. I don't hold that against them. Well, they really treated you wrong. So what? The Word says I am to forgive them. So I don't want to forgive them. I don't feel like forgiving them. There's nothing in my flesh that desires it, but my spirit is the governing Power. I'm going to do what the Word says. And so this puts us in the place that the Word can work for us because God's going to bring His help through His Word. What does Psalm 107.20 say? 107.20 of Psalms says, He sent His Word and healed and delivered them from their destruction. So when God wanted to bring help to them, how did He deliver it? How did he transmit help? With his word. 
His word conducts his help. His word transmits his help to us. So for us to say, oh God, you got to help me. God, you got to get me out of this. God, you got to do something. He said, here's my help. Here's my help. I'm helping you. I'm helping you when, when you hear answers preached over the pulpit. I'm helping you when I lead you to a scripture. It's your help. Take that scripture out of the page and put it in your mouth and in your heart. And in your heart and in your mouth and in your mouth and in your heart until it brings the manifestation of what I desire. God helps us with His Word. We've got to see that whenever God would desires to change a situation or move a, a person forward in life, he, he uses His Word to make progress. He uses His Word. What did He ter- tell Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1? He said, Jeremiah, I put my Word in your mouth and I'm setting you in a position to tear down and to destroy and to, to bring to ruin and, and to build and to plant. How is Jeremiah going to tear down the enemies, the, the, what the enemy had built up? How is Jeremiah going to destroy what the enemy had constructed in that nation? How was he going to do it? The word of God in his mouth. And so God said, I'm going to effect change and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my word in your mouth. That's how we're going to do this. So if God wants to change it, his word, even to bring salvation to humanity, God began from Genesis declaring and prophesying and proclaiming Jesus in, in the word, he began to say, the seed of the woman will crush the dominion of the serpent. Hallelujah. And from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, God spoke his word. He sent his word. He sent his word. And Jesus is the word made flesh. He came as the Word and entered into the womb of Mary as the Word. She received the Word and said, Be it unto me according to your Word. And the Word was made flesh. And the Word brought salvation. And the Word rescued us. And the Word redeemed us. And the Word purchased us. So if God wants to change our lives, He brings His Word. It's His Word that's transmitting His help to us. His Word is transmitting His rescue. It's transmitting the wisdom of God, the light of God. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said, My words are spirit. My words are spirit and they are life. The words of God contain His Spirit, conduct His Spirit to us, conduct His life to us. That's how you can receive the preached Word and be made a new creature in Christ. You are born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And if He started your life that way, that's how His life is going to continue to work in us by His Word. He sent His Word. So these people were experiencing famine and God brought them help by a Word. It wasn't the four lepers that initiated this change. We know the four lepers got up and they said, why do we sit here till we die? 
But that wasn't where the initiation of that help came from. It helped when God pronounced his word through the prophet and said, tomorrow about this time, everything you've been experiencing is going to be changed. It's going to be different. It's going to be, it's going to be delivered. You're, you're going to be free from this. How did it start? The word. And somebody believed it. Some, it, it has that word has to be proclaimed. And that's why you have been authorized to proclaim God's word. Yeah. You are never at a disadvantage. You don't have to wait till pastor comes and says it. You can open up your mouth and say it. And there are some things you need to say in your house. Your house needs to hear you prophesy some things. You are the prophet of your own life. You are the one who is authorized to say, not in my house, not fear in my house. No more worry in my life. You've got to prophesy some things. You've got to declare what the word of the Lord is in your house because that authorizes God to manifest his will in that situation. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 11. And I'd like to see that in the Amplified if I could. Isaiah 55, 11. I'm going to go straight to the Amplified. It says, so shall my word be. God's telling us how his word works. And I'll tell you, when we read Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, that needs to be your goal. You need to set a goal because God wants the word to work in your life the same way he describes it working for him here. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void without producing any effect or useless. The word is not just to make us feel better. It's not just to get our hopes up. The word is designed to produce effect. If you're speaking the word, you're doing something. You are doing something about the situation by speaking the word. Now, your flesh does not necessarily feel as comfortable feeling like you've done all you can do. And so your flesh likes to reason and to try to worry about it and try to figure out what else can I do. But when you have spoken the word about the situation... You have taken the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you have drawn that sword against that adversity. You have taken the hammer of the Word. Isn't that what Jeremiah says? My Word is like a hammer that breaks in rock. It breaks the rock of most stubborn resistance. It breaks it in pieces. So when you speak the word, you are causing the integrity of your problem to lessen and to weaken, and it's about to crumble if you'll just keep applying the word to it. So when you speak the word, you are doing something. That's why you should not use the phrase, well, I'm just saying. I'm never just saying. If I open my mouth and say something, I'm working on a building. That's right. I'm I'm accomplishing something. I'm making progress here. If I open my mouth and say it, I have established something. I'm, I'm working the scripture by speaking the word. And so he says, my word will not return without producing any effect. God wants you to be able to say that same thing about what you say. This is not for God's 
only result, for God only. This is only the result that God, God, it is incorrect for us to think God is the only one who can say, when my word goes out of my mouth, it does not return. He wants you to be able to say the same thing. He created you in his image, in his likeness. He's placed his word in your mouth and he wants you to be able to say, when I speak the word of God, it's working for me. It's working. I don't have to see it to believe it. I don't have to feel it to believe it. I believe it because God has established this system and given it to me. My word out of my mouth shall not return to me void without producing any effect or useless, but it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose. When you speak the word of God, you are effecting the will of God. You are activating the will of God in your life because the word of God contains his will. It will accomplish that which I please and purpose and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God wants to change something, he sends his word. The word prosper, one of, the, one of my favorite definitions of this word prosper means to come mightily against, to push against. So God's word pushes against that adversity and overcomes it. It will prosper against it. Hallelujah. What do we do? We speak it. We believe it and speak it. That's how the spirit of faith works. We having the same spirit of faith, what do we do? We believe it and speak it. Now you can just speak something without believing it and not get results. And that's why we've got to recognize when Mark eleven twenty three 23 was being taught, Jesus was telling, this is how it works when you work it correctly. You... Not doubting in your heart, but believing that those things which you say come to pass, you say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and it will obey you. But if a person hasn't done that part about believing that the things they say come to pass, they can say words that don't have faith in them and not get results and then say, that doesn't work when they weren't working it correctly. That's right. Because words, it, it, when, when people, here's what, um, first of all, God doesn't move our mountains. That's not what the scripture says. Right. He says, if you want the mountain to be moved, you, you've got to say something. So God's not the one moving the mountain, and it doesn't even say faith moves the mountain. It says faith-filled words move the mountain. Because you can have faith and not be releasing it. We know that because there was a man who had sat under the Apostle Paul's preaching until faith come and the Apostle Paul knew it. The Apostle Paul said, I recognize, I perceive that you have faith to be healed. But he wasn't healed. He had faith to be healed, but he wasn't healed. He had faith to be healed, but he hadn't acted on it. He had faith to be healed, but he hadn't, he hadn't initiated it. Yeah. He hadn't released it. It was there. Why? Because faith had come by hearing. He heard the gospel preached. He heard 
it preached and faith had come and the minister could recognize faith had come but no change had taken place because it had not been activated. And so he gave him a command to activate it. Hallelujah. So we know that it's possible to have faith and not release it. So it's not just faith that moves the mountain. Because if a person has faith but they're not saying anything, they're not releasing it out of their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is designed to speak it. It has to come because your mouth is the authorization. With the mouth, confession is made unto rescue, restoration, deliverance, salvation. All of those definitions are appropriate for that New Testament word, salvation. With the mouth, confession is made unto rescue. Well, God, I'm believing God. I'm believing God. Well, what have you said about it? Have you called the end from the beginning? Have you called it like it is? Not like you want it. Not like it's going to be in the future. Not saying, well, I believe God's going to. That's not faith. I believe God's going to. That's not faith. That's hope. Faith says, I have it now. Faith says, God has done it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Faith says it. Faith says it. Not just thinks it. Faith says it. Faith says. And, and listen, we're not just saying it to try to convince other people. We're not just saying it to try to make other people think that we've got faith. I'm talking about what comes out of your heart. Out of your heart with a confidence, with a, a determination. What comes out of your heart. Faith calls it. Like the word says it. Do you see the agreement? Do you see the connection? Hallelujah. If God's going to change it, he's going to send his word. We've got to agree with the word. We've got to agree with the word. So the word came to change their situation. That was what initiated the deliverance that they encountered. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8 just to see the proper reception of the word. Let's look at 8, verse 8. This is the centurion who caused Jesus to marvel at his faith. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, under me. And I say it to this man, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. And Jesus, when he heard it, marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He called this man's words great faith. What was so great about this man's faith? He only needed the word. He didn't ask for any other proof, any other evidence. The word was evidence. If you speak the word, that's all the evidence I need. If I have your word on it, that's the evidence. And he left and it took him evidently about a day to get back home. 
And when he got home, they said, your servant is on, he's getting better. And he said, when did he start to get better? And it was the exact time that Jesus had said, be it unto you as you have believed. Is that what he says in verse 13? As you have believed, be it done unto you. How do we know how he, how did he believe? We know because of what he said. We know exactly what he believed because he said it. He said, speak the word only. Speak the word only. Because if you speak the word, it will be done. The same way that I speak the word and cause things to happen in authority. Do you see? He's recognizing the authority of the word. Well, John chapter 20 Let's look at the opposite response. The response we don't want to give when the word comes. John chapter 20 and verse 26. After eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither your finger and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Well, what is Jesus calling faithless? How do we know that Thomas was faithless? How did we know the centurion had great faith? By what he said. His words was his faith speaking. We know he had great faith because he said, he said, speak the word only. Well, how did we know that Thomas was being faithless? Well, let's back up and find out what Thomas said. Because out of the abundance of his heart, he spoke too. Verse 25, the other disciples said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see. Now what the centurion, his response was, If, I, if you just speak the word, I don't have to see anything, don't have to feel anything, don't have to have any other proof, don't have to have any other evidence. If you just speak the word, that's enough because when I speak the word, my soldiers respond to me. When I receive the word spoken to me from my uppers, they, I'll do what they tell me to do. And if you'll speak the word, it'll happen. But not here's, here's a disciple who'd walked with Jesus, who'd sat in his sermons, sat under his teaching, saw his miracles, heard him say, in three days I'll rise again. Heard him say it. We know Jesus taught that. That's right. We've got record of Jesus telling his disciples, the Son of Man will be crucified, except the corn of wheat fall in the ground to die, it abides alone, but I will rise again. He said, I'm going to be crucified on the third day. I'll rise again. We saw it this morning, and I'll meet you in Galilee. Yeah. Right? Well, Thomas, he's demanding, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. He's got, he's got three requirements before he believes. Yeah. 
Three things he must see. He's demanding physical, natural evidence before he will believe. And notice he says, I will not. Not I can't. Not I can't. I won't. Not I can't. Not Lord help my unbelief. I will not until I see this. So when do we believe we're healed? When we feel it? When the doctor's report changes. That's why if you come to me and you say, Pastor Michelle, pray with me that this doctor's report will be such and such, I'm going to say, I'll pray with you that Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 is going to work for you. You are the healed of the Lord. Because the, if I just pray for the doctor's report, somebody might make a mistake and switch the report and you get somebody else's report. Yeah. That's not right. That's not, that's not our determining factor. What, and I'll tell you what else. If you get a false report or if you get, does our faith stop when the report comes back? I'll, I'll, get, I'll take you one a step further. If you've ever read Christ the Healer by F.F. F. Bosworth, he says it is inappropriate for you to judge that you're feeling better after prayer. If, he said that for you to judge that you're healed because you start feeling better. Inappropriate for you to say, oh, I'm healed because I feel better. No matter how I feel, I'm healed. No matter what my finances say, I'm blessed. Why? Because I'm not doing this by feeling. I'm not, I'm not requiring natural evidence before I'll believe it. Amen. I'm believing it because the higher authority of the Word of God has revealed it to me. And so regardless of how the report comes back, regardless of how my body feels, regardless of the symptoms, if you'll remember... Brother Hagen dealt with a lot of people who had received healing under the tents in the miracles and the signs and wonders of the tent crusades. They received healing through a gift of the Spirit or through an anointing on an individual, but because they didn't have faith to keep it, they lost it. And he would go into a town that had two months before had a great healing ministry, visit that town, and the pastor would say, my people got healed under the tent, but six weeks later they lost it. Can you help us? And Brother Hagin said, tell them to come to all the daytime teachings and sit under the teachings about faith. And he said, generally, I never had to lay hands on them again because they came to me after sitting under the teaching and said, I found out what I did wrong and I've got it back. Amen. They, they got it by faith. So if you receive healing through an anointing on somebody, somebody's ministry or a gift of the Spirit, we still have our own responsibility to maintain that healing with faith. Amen. But he Amen. taught in the book, and I think we have it in our bookstore, uh, how to keep your healing. He taught how they lost it. 
he said that he would go into places and he, he uses a couple of different examples. And in one of the examples, there was a man who had such bad hearing that even with his hearing aids in, they would have to scream at the top of their voices to be able to, to speak to him. He was on a cane. He got healed in Brother Hagen's meeting. And Brother Hagen was there for like six weeks in this meeting. And this man got healed. And then a few weeks later, he recognizes he's got his hearing aids back in. He said when he got healed, that they could, they could stand uh, with the, his back to them and then be like six foot away and whisper, and the man could hear it. He could hear a pin drop. But after about those, those four weeks, he, he came back in. He's got his hearing aids back in. He's got his, his walker back out. And Brother Hagen said to him, and he said, I had to scream to get him to answer me because he couldn't hear me again. And I said, what happened to you? And he said, I went to the post office and I just felt some of that same pain and I felt like I got muffled in my ears and I said, I must not have gotten healed. He'd been healed for four weeks. But when the symptom came back, do you see why we don't want to base whether we are or not on how we feel after prayer? Amen. When the symptom came back, he agreed with the symptom. I must not be healed. And the devil robbed from him. We've got a guard. We've got a guard. And we've got to train ourselves. I don't demand of God natural evidence. I don't need any more than his, his word is enough for me. Amen. If God has spoken, I know he's faithful and I know he cannot lie. So I'm going to take his faithfulness. And isn't that what Abraham, Abraham, it says that Abraham considered God faithful. Sarah, Hebrews 11, 11, Sarah considered that God was faithful to do what he had promised. Amen. We've got to take God's word and place it above all of our feelings, all of the symptoms, all of the situations, because it's whether we believe it or not that's going to determine if it's going to be active in our life or not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So Kenneth Hagin, I, I use his examples because that's who I've learned so much of what I understand about the principles of faith. But when he was healed, he had been bedfast for over, I think, 16 months. He had lost so much weight that he said his clothes fit on him like uh, he, he was just skin and bones. So even though he got healed, it, it wasn't that he suddenly appeared fully, fully uh, muscular or, or vibrant in his body. He was healed. He was up. He was walking around, right? But he was still uh, 80 pounds. And he went back to school. 
And his school teachers were so upset because they thought he's going to die in the classroom. The doctor had said he's up just by, by willpower. He's just up by willpower, and he, they, they still had his estimation of him dying. And, and he said, they had told me that I, had, I would die in 90 days. And do you know, the devil brought that calendar to me every night and said, you've got, you've got 60 more days. You've got 30 more days. Just every night, helping him keep that, not, not, not wanting to, but just suddenly that what those words had been spoken. And he said, I had to overcome what they had said. He went to school. He had to walk two miles to school. And in the school, there were a lot of stairs and a lot of different levels in the school. And so the teachers were afraid that he was going to die in their classroom. And so they went to the principal and the principal attended his church and the principal knew him. And so he went into the principal's office and the principal said, the teachers are really uncomfortable because, you know, they think you're going to still die. And so uh, are you sure you need to come to school? And he said, he said, the Lord has healed me. And the man said, I cannot do anything to hurt your faith. So I'm not going to prohibit you from coming to school. But this is what I'm going to tell you. And, and Brother Hagen said he did not know how difficult he made it when he made the following statement. The man said, this is what we'll do. If you are ever too sick to come in or too weak to, to walk into school, we will not count you absent. If you get to school and you're too tired to climb the steps and you can't make it to any of your classes, none of the teachers will count you absent. If you're feeling weak and you need to go out into the hallway to get a drink, you don't have to ask the teacher for permission to leave the class. All of the teachers will know that you can leave at any time. You can be here or not be here. We won't count you absent. We won't count you tardy. We won't, we won't uh, uh, report you if you need to leave early. And he said, when that man said that, I knew I could not allow myself to miss one day of school. I knew I could not allow myself to be late one day of school because it would allow my flesh to lean towards the idea that I wasn't healed. He said, I knew I had to think, act, and speak in line with what God had done to heal me. So he said, I never missed a day. I wasn't ever late. I did not leave my classes. Even when I was so tired, I didn't know how I was going to be able to walk that two miles to school. I did it because I had to act in line with what God had done for me. Do you see that discipline? That discipline in the mind. We don't need to wait until an attack occurs before we put that discipline in place. We begin to discipline ourselves to think in line with the Word of God, to act in line with the Word of God, to make our decisions in line with what God has said He's done for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I believe God. I believe God. 
See, we're learning something. We're learning that faith isn't something that I can just pick up one day and be really skilled at it. I've got to pick it up every day and I've got to work it every day and I've got to make those adjustments every day because Mark eleven twenty three. 23, I'm just going to read it and then we'll close here. When we read this and, and I, I, I'm saying it as many different ways as I can say it, we, we need to read Mark eleven twenty three 23 and recognize Jesus is telling us this is how it works when I'm skilled at it. There are a lot of elements that need to be in place for this to work right for me. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. That doesn't happen automatically. For you to get to a place that you don't doubt in your heart, when you say something like that without doubting it, you've got to have control over your heart. You've got to have your heart conditioned. I believe what I say. I believe my words have power. For you not to doubt in your heart is not something you just decide to do one day and you're a a pro at it. None of us are pros at it the first time we start believing God. Amen. People that we have seen have, have, have uh, exercised their faith and exhibited their faith, they're still working these same principles, but they've been working them long enough, like the uh, basketball player who's been shooting those, uh, those baskets from the free throw line. That's not the first time that they've ever done that. They've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours practicing that shot. They, they, and even uh, though they've done it uh, hundreds of times, they don't skip practice because I don't need it. I've done that before. I still need the practice if I want to keep the muscle memory, if I want to keep the accuracy. Faith requires practice. Faith requires a constant application of the principles of faith. Shall not doubt in his heart. That takes practice. That takes a conditioning of the heart. That takes a relationship with God. That takes an honor for his word. But shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. Not just when you're speaking to the mountain. That's not the only time you need to believe the things you say come to pass. You have to come to the point that everything you say, you believe it will come to pass. And for a lot of people, that could be dangerous. It could be dangerous if the things they're saying come to pass. Because they say things like, that cost me an arm and a leg. That burns me up. How about this? Mind blown. Not this mind. Sound mind right here. Right here. Sound mind. Nothing going to blow my mind. Sound mind. Amen? So you hear things that get into people's vocabulary. We We don't want to say things 
that we don't believe because it confuses our spirit. We've talked about that in this teaching. We've talked about that in this teaching, that it deceives, uh, that if a man thinks that he's religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, thinks that he's spiritual but doesn't bridle his tongue, that man's deceiving himself. The unbridled tongue will deceive our heart. So when Jesus is saying, you've got to believe that the things you say come to pass, he's talking about all day long. You've got to use your words with such an accuracy. Your words are like bullets coming out of your mouth. And that's why it is dangerous for you to say things when people pull out in front of you. They may not be cuss words like we know them, but if they're detrimental, you might be speaking something negative on a child of God. You don't know that person in that car. You don't know. Why would you say, you stupid, what you doing? Who gave you that driver's license? Don't say that. That's cursing them. You're using words. That person is using, not you, those other people. They're using words to destroy what did he say? I'll put my words in your mouth. If, if you want to use your faith properly, you're not going to use your words improperly because my faith is all about me believing what I say comes to pass and me being a steward over the words that I speak so that I'm only saying what I believe and what I desire. Why? Because I want to work Isaiah 55, 11, the way God works Isaiah 55, 11. The words that I speak come out of my mouth and they produce, they produce the desired result all the time. Not just in prayer, not just when I'm speaking to the mountain, but my words have power all day long. Your microphone is on all day long. Hallelujah. He said, whatever I speak, I've got to believe that it comes to pass and then I'll have whatever I say. Do you realize that the Tower of Babel, God said they are capable of achieving whatever they set their minds to because they are all of one speech. What, they've got unity in their words. Do you realize the power that God created man to have? We have dominion with our words. So what did he do? He confounded. And the word confounded means to fodder. You know how to fodder an animal? If, a, if you're feeding a horse... And that horse needs, uh, it, it needs a, a cup of really nutritious grain. That cup of grain is not going to fill the stomach of that horse. So you put one part grain and three parts corn. Filler. You, you, you're filling them up, but not with the nutrition. They don't need more than one cup of grain, but they need more in their stomach so you put something in there that's really of not much nutritional value. You got pork chops on the table. One pork chop per person is not going to fill this family. So what do I do? I'm going to put some rice on that table. I'm going to put some potatoes on that table. 
Why? Because the rice and the potatoes don't have that much nutritional value, but they'll fill you up. They'll fodder you. God came down and foddered the language of the people, confounded their language. Yes, he gave them different languages, but the power of their words was diluted. We don't want that for us. That was a safety for them to keep them from destroying themselves following after the wrong thing. But for us, we need to get back to pull all the fodder out of our language. Take those meaningless, nonsense words out of our mouths and speak so accurately that when we speak every time, angels are activated. The promises are activated. Our faith responds. Our spirit responds. Hallelujah. It's possible. It's possible. Mark eleven twenty three is our objective. That's what we're aiming at. Mark eleven twenty three, Isaiah fifty five eleven. That's what we're aiming at. That's what I want. I want my words to be so in agreement with God's words that I see His will come to pass in our life. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for how you minister to us, Lord, by your spirit. We are listening to you. We are patiently listening to you. Patiently listening to you, Lord. We have ears to hear. We have ears to hear. Say this with me. Father, I agree with your word. I approach your word with a renewed honor. And I accept your word as final authority in my life. Be it unto me according to your word. 
I ask you, Lord, help me adjust anything in my life to be in agreement with you. In Jesus' name.